shout out to Covenant Eyes for sponsoring this season of the podcast. Covenant Eyes has helped more than 1.5 million people find freedom from porn. Check out the link in the description to sign up and use the code ROSE at checkout to get 30 days free. Also want to give a big shout out to the supporters of this show. I would not be able to keep creating Bible-based productivity content without the help of people like you. So thank you. And if you're getting value out of this show, my newsletter, videos, or other productivity resources, consider becoming a supporter of Redeeming Productivity. You can do so through giving a one-time or recurring donation at redeemingproductivity.com donation, or by joining the Redeeming Productivity Patreon at patreon.com slash redeemingprod. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome to the Redeeming Productivity Show. This is the podcast that helps Christians get more done and get it done like Christians. And I'm your host, Reagan Rose. Guys, in this episode, I want to talk to you about this question. Should Christians pursue financial freedom. We're all feeling the hit from inflation. A lot of people after COVID have reevaluated their relationship to work. The idea of passive income has been around for a while and this idea of retiring young. Longtime listeners to the podcast will remember that one of the first episodes I did, I think it was episode four, was called Flirting with Fire. And that acronym FIRE stood for financial independence, retire early. It was this idea that if you could save up a certain amount of money, make the right kind of investments, really, really hustle in your 20s, it was possible to live very frugally and effectively not need to work anymore in your 30s or your 40s. So it's kind of this revolutionary concept, and a lot of people have bought into that. And I'm not going to rehash that whole episode here But what I wanted to do in this episode was look at somebody who has chosen to sort of work a lot less than they need to and is also living on a lot less than they need to and sort of use this person as a foil to examine our views of work, of money, of contentment, even laziness, and sort of hold that up to the Bible and kind of just see some of the unbiblical notions that maybe you or I have taken in unwittingly about work and about what it means to be content and how much money is enough for us. So the thing that first got me thinking about this was this post that I came across on Reddit. It's since been deleted. It was by this guy named Vanderall who has deleted his account as well. But I have a screenshot of it here. And I got rid of some of the unsavory language that was in it. But anyway, in the post, he says, I only work an hour a day, only make 20000 a year, and I'm sick of getting uh, crap for it, basically. And so this guy works very little. He makes not that much. And people give him grief about it. So he tells this story from... 19 to 25, he hustled a bunch. In the comments below this, he tells a little about what it was he did exactly. He basically ran these clickbait sort of SEO websites on Google that generated him a lot of passive income, and they continued to bring in money. So he hustled a bunch. He saved everything he could possibly. He bought a house as soon as he could. It's paid off. He has a paid off car, and he says 32 now. In the last five years, he's basically been working an hour 
a day on his business. And he goes into some of what he does. He has a daily workload, which is just maintaining those websites. And then he just does whatever he wants the rest of the day. And so he talks about, he goes for hikes. Sometimes he binges Netflix. Sometimes he's playing games for six days straight, like video games, cleaning the house, doing repair in the yard. Anyway, he does all this different stuff. And with that, he only makes 20 to 30,000 a year. He says, I'm perfectly fine with that. It's all I need right now. That's right. It's interesting. He, he doesn't work much. He also doesn't make much, but he's saying, I'm okay with that. But my family and the people in my life are not okay with that. He goes on. He says, this has been a constant sticking point for my family members, though. If I talk to anyone, they just have to bring it up. How can you live like that? Don't you want kids? Where's your ambition? He said most of his friends are online. He said it's a cheap hobby. He goes through and justifies why this is really nobody's business but his. And the point is, he says, I cannot see a better lifestyle for me right now. He says, I really wish people would just lay off. And then he asks this really interesting question. People tell him, you're wasting your time. But he says, what exactly is a waste of time anyway? Isn't everything a waste of time? Isn't working 50 hours a week for 150K a year salary so you can buy a shinier car a waste of time? He says, I see no enjoyment in that. And at the end of the day, most of us could just be deleted tomorrow and we wouldn't even blip on the overall mechanization of society. So I came across this article and it struck me for several reasons. One, this idea of contentment. He's talking about this is enough for me. I don't need more money than this. And you say, okay, that's a commendable attitude, even in the face of people saying, no, you should want more than this. But then there was these other complicating factors like he doesn't work that much. Is that lazy? Should he be doing more? How much is enough? How much should we be working? How much should we be making? And this whole idea of what the purpose of it all is, getting into these idea of happiness, fulfillment, what the meaning of it is, some of these implied motivations that his family or himself were saying should be the driving forces in his life. And so I just think this makes a really interesting foil for us to think through some of these big questions about money and time and defining success and what it means to live a useful life for God. One of the topics that's been coming up a lot lately is this idea of the the 40-hour work week. Should we be having 40-hour work weeks? There's articles probably every other week in major newspapers or opinion pieces saying something like, oh, the 40-hour work week is dead. That's a holdover from the industrial era. We should be working 30 hours or 20 hours or just whatever we need to make us happy. And that is everywhere. I agree that the 40-hour work week is an arbitrary number. If you listen to my episode with Dr. Kelly Capick several episodes ago, he talked about pre-industrial times, how people worked more seasonally. If you were in agricultural society, you'd hustle in the spring to plant, you'd hustle in the fall to harvest. But a lot of times in between, there wasn't much actual work to do. And so this sort of flattening out of how much we work each week and making that consistent over the whole year, that's a relatively new invention. And so some of those criticisms about the 40-hour work week, I think, are well taken. It is arbitrary, right? Why isn't it 50? Why isn't it 20? Who decides how much is enough work? If you don't meet that number, are you being lazy? I think those are interesting questions for sure. And I think this brings it up. The comments in this post, half the people were like, I don't believe you. You're a liar. The other half were like, this is awesome. And then another portion. I know that half and half makes 100%. So another portion of them 
we're saying things like basically agreeing with his parents. Yeah, you are lazy. You need to live a, you need to focus a little bit more and you need to think more about than just yourself. And so I'm not here to attack this guy or something. I don't know who he is, but like I said, I think it brings up some interesting questions. And so a couple of things I want to do here is I want to commend a few things. One thing that I think is worthy of commendation is this guy's commitment to contentment. You know, a lot of us, especially if you're productivity minded, you tend to maybe be a bit more ambitious. Some people are that are into this kind of stuff that would listen to a podcast like this. And so when you think about how much is enough, that's a goal that is always moving further and further. And this is a problem with humans in general. It's greed, basically. I always want to raise. I always want a bigger house. I always want a better car. And I read an article this morning. They said one third of Americans making $250,000 live paycheck to paycheck. So one third of people who are making a quarter million dollars a year are living paycheck to paycheck. And I think that's just evidence of this thing that we're talking about is we always want a little bit more. And so I do think it's commendable when you see someone who's like, I don't want more 20,000, 30,000. That's enough for me. I'm happy with this. And so I think that's commendable in this thing. But I also think the will to resist sort of society's standards and polls about that, that's commendable too. But the question that I'm interested in and I think maybe you're interested in since this is a Christian podcast, is this sort of attitude that this guy has, would this be right for a Christian? So say that you were in the position this guy finds himself in, where you have an effectively passive income stream of twenty dollars to $30,000 a year. You've got a paid off house. You don't have debt. And you're a single person. You think, okay, this is enough for me. Would this be right for you to do to only work one hour a week? I think we need to look, read between the lines here. I think there are some assumptions in what he's saying and compare those assumptions to what scripture has to say about what it means to live a God-honoring life. So one assumption that I see coming up in this is his quest to live a meaningful life. So everybody wants to live a meaningful life. I don't care who you are. You want to live a meaningful life. This guy, you say, no, he's not pursuing that. He's not ambitious. He's not living a meaningful life. He is. He just defines it differently than the world. His definition of a meaningful life is having time freedom, being able to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and just enjoy himself, not being burdened by working all the time. To him, he finds that meaningful. He even said in that, that part of the article where he talked about World of Warcraft, he finds it meaningful to do to advance in these games. So it's not that he's he's rejecting a meaningful life, it's that he's redefined it for himself. But the debate, I think, is who defines a meaningful life? And I see him making two assumptions here about life and meaning that I think we need to question in the light of scripture. If, if this sort of lifestyle appeals to you living really frugally so that you don't have to work as much, have more time freedom, just make sure that you're questioning your assumptions about things. So what's the first assumption? I think assumption number one is he assumes life is purely about the happiness we find here and now. So looking back at the article, you know, he says this thing about this is all I need right now. He also says that I wake up every day happy and barely bring myself to go to bed because I'm having so much fun. And then he says this part here, I think is very interesting where he said, if 
if we, most of us could just be deleted tomorrow and we would not even be a blip on the overall mechanization of society. I don't want that life. And so he's defined meaning in the, the present tense that his, his life right now, this world is all there is. That's an under, I think an underlying assumption. There is no heaven. There's no afterlife. There's no judgment to come. It's just, how do I find happiness in this life? And we've got to question that assumption as Christians. If you think, man, I just want to find a job where I can do the bare minimum and make enough to survive. I think that you've got the wrong view of work if you're thinking that way. I, I know a lot of people, I know a lot of Christians too, that they think of their job purely as a way to make money. And all they want is enough money to get by. They don't see their job as part of their overall mission in life to bring God glory. They don't, they don't make that connection. It's kind of like to them, there's, there's real life and there's work life. And these are separate spheres. Work is a necessary evil so that I can do the stuff that I want to do. I don't think that's a good way to think about it. And I do think that a lot of times underneath that way of thinking is this assumption that my personal happiness here and now is all there is. That's the meaning of life. Can I, do I enjoy my life right now? And don't get me wrong. Even if you're somebody who is pursuing, you know, you're hustling all the time, trying to make lots of money. It's kind of the same thing at work, isn't it? The same assumption is there. It's about my personal happiness. I'm going to work really hard so I can get a boat or these toys or this stuff so that I can be happy here and now. That is a temporal minded attitude, not an eternal minded attitude. And I think that is a problem because look, first Corinthians six, 19 through 20, here it is. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The idea there is that you're not yours. You don't belong to you. You're God's. And as such, he gets to define what meaning is. He gets to define what a useful life looks like for you because he paid for you with the blood of Jesus Christ. If you claim Jesus as the Lord of your life, you cannot say life is about me and my personal fulfillment. No, it's not. If he's Lord, it's about what he says. It's about serving him. It's about bringing him the most glory. Now for a word from this season's sponsor. One of the most unproductive things you can do is allow sin to have a foothold in your life. And in our digital age, it's easier than ever to give in to that temptation. Covenant Eyes offers two apps that give you one simple path to victory. First, the Covenant Eyes sensor app operates in the background of your devices, monitoring them for concerning activity and blocking explicit content. Second, the Victory app provides your ally with the most up-to-date information about your online activity. If explicit activity is detected, an alert will pop up encouraging them to contact you. The Victory app is also full of resources and courses to help you grow in your battle against lust. And Covenant Eyes gives you the tools you need to make the right decision when you're tempted online. Covenant Eyes has helped more than 1.5 million people find freedom from porn, and maybe it can help you too. Just go to CovenantEyes.com and use the code ROSE, that's R-O-S-E, at checkout to try it free for 30 days. Okay, so that's the first assumption that I think he's wrong on. He's assuming that the purpose of life is purely about my temporal happiness here. 
No, for the Christian, the purpose of life is about glorifying God. It's about eternity because even our eternal happiness is tied up in our glorifying of God. He is a rewarder of good works. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. But the good works that we do as Christians, it is very clear in scripture, all the passages about the crowns we receive, all the passages about, about eternal reward have to do with being basically a faithful steward of this life. So you can't think in these limited terms. Don't buy into the world's thinking that my work, money, any of that stuff is just about being happy here and now. Think more long-term than that. Think eternally. Now, the second assumption that I see in this post is that he rejects the idea of being useful as a good standard for a meaningful life. I see this come through when he's talking about the criticism he gets from his family. You know, they said, how can you live like that? Don't you want kids? Where's your ambition? And then he says this thing down here that I mentioned just before that we would just be a blip on the overall mechanization of society. Reading between the lines there, I think what he's getting at is his parents seem to be saying, don't you want to be useful to society? And he's saying, why do I care? I'm not going to affect society anyway. And so I think maybe this is some of it's just him trying to cope, <laughs> maybe trying to justify himself. But it does seem that he's rejecting this notion that the meaning of life is to be useful to other people. And so I see him setting in contrast the idea that the meaning of life is your personal fulfillment with the idea that the meaning of life is to be useful to other people. Now, we'll talk about that. But first, I want to talk about Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> My son loves Thomas the Tank Engine. There's a Thomas the Tank Engine podcast. He listens to it and he asks for it all the time. A special treat for him is to get to watch the old Thomas the Tank Engine show, the toys that was shot live action. It has like the voiceovers, like sometimes it's Ringo Starr, sometimes it's Alec Baldwin. Anyway, I know a lot about Thomas the Tank Engine because I've watched a lot of Thomas the Tank Engine. One of the things that's super weird about this show is that there's a philosophy like to the world of Thomas the Tank Engine. There's like this consistent sort of value system and it's based around whether, whatever he's called, the station master, Sir Topham Hatt, whether he thinks that you are a really useful engine. Now, if you've ever watched Thomas Tank Engine, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you're like, what? But seriously, the whole show, like whether an engine is satisfied with his work or not is whether Sir Topham Hatt says you were not a useful engine today or you are a very useful engine. That's how a lot of the episodes end. It's like, oh, great. Look, he was useful. That's his purpose in life. And it's true. The purpose of a steam engine on the island of Sodor is to be really useful. And... When this guy brings up this thing about usefulness, he's contrasting with usefulness to society primarily. And in fact, a lot of our schools are built around this assumption. A lot of times they'll tell you, you know, we're trying to make you a productive member of society. And I don't think that's unimportant, but usefulness primarily is about our usefulness to God. Now, when we talk about being useful to God, it doesn't mean that God actually needs us, but he does choose to use us. Look at Psalm 50 verses 8 through 15. This is God talking to his people about their sacrifices and saying, look, I don't need your sacrifices. I'm not like the other gods. I'm not like the false gods that need them. 
He says in verse 8 and following, Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. He's saying, look, sacrifice to me, but I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm not dependent on the sacrifice you give me, but offer these sacrifices to me. Glorify me. I'm going to take care of you. So look, God doesn't need us, but stewardship is a matter of being useful to God. That's what it's about. I want to live a life that counts. I want to live a life that matters. And I believe with all my heart that the way to evaluate whether a life matters or not is not based on whether it was personally fulfilling to me. That's not my highest calling. It's not even based on whether society thought I was a major contributor to things. The final evaluation is whether God commends me for the life I live, for my work I did, how I lived. That's what matters. To be useful to God is part of the reason that we even put sin to death. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I want to be useful because that's how I glorify God. I love God. I want to see him glorified. I want to make him look good because he is good. And part of the way I do that is through being productive in good works, in being a faithful steward of my time, in doing my job well, in evangelism, in being faithful in my local church, in how I serve my family, in how I use this life. That's what it's all about. And that's what this verse in 2 Timothy is saying, is even in our desire to put sin to death in our life. It's not even just that we want to put it to death because like we don't like it, or even that in putting it to death, it's just we don't want God to be mad at us. The Apostle Paul is saying, put it to death so that you can be more useful to God. That is a very commendable desire to be useful to God. And another thing is to be useful to God is what it means to consecrate yourself to God. It's giving him all of you. It says in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. For the Christian, our work is not primarily a vehicle to make us money or secure us the lifestyle we want, but it is primarily our vehicle for worshiping God. Why do I say that? Because our work or the primary calling of your life, if you're not working, maybe you're a stay-at-home homemaker or maybe you're a retired person, but the main thing you spend your time on, because it's the main thing you spend your time on, is the main place that you need to be making sure you're bringing God glory with your life. And so if you write off your working life as unimportant or unrelated to this spiritual part, if you disintegrate your life from the spiritual parts, the stuff I do at church and my Bible study, work is the thing I have to slog through, and then being with my family, that, you know, there's spiritual parts to that too. No, no, no. It's all together. And so since your primary calling is where you spend most of your time, you need to make sure that you are consecrating yourself to God's service in that arena, at your job, in your primary calling. 
And so as we seek to be productive in our work, whether we work many hours or few, whether we make much money or little, those things are actually ancillary to the most important point. My work is productive in as far as it was done unto the Lord. And so you ask yourself, was today a good day? Was I useful to God today? In doing work in a way that honors him, in loving my neighbor, in exploiting evangelistic opportunities, then yeah, it was a good day. Part of that usefulness, however, most certainly involves usefulness to others. So I'm not trying to poo-poo on that. Good works are Godward and they're also others focused, you know, love God, love your neighbor. That's what we're doing with these lives as Christians. And so productivity is concerned with doing good works, is concerned with being useful to other people. But most importantly, it's about being useful to God. And I just want to talk a little bit about this question, how much is enough? Because I do think that that post kind of brings it up. And that was a sticking point for a lot of people who were commenting on it is 20,000. That's not enough. And he's justifying himself. He said, it is for me. I can live off of this. I'm even saving for retirement. Like he pushed back against all the concerns. They said, well, not to have a family. He said, I don't want a family. So how much is enough? I don't think we can put a number on that, really. We should all ask ourselves, how much is enough money for me? How much is enough time for me to be spending? How much is too much time? Because when you think about it, given the option, wouldn't you like to work a little bit less so that you could have more time for other things? I mean, there's a very realistic scenario, and I know people who do this, who work less so that they can be more involved with their church, so they can volunteer. A bivocational pastor, for example. He works a little bit so he can pay the bills so that he can devote most of his time to the church. So these questions, how much is enough time? How much is enough money? They're big. And I think a good way to maybe evaluate your own heart in this matter, because I think this is a heart thing, is ask yourself this. If I became independently wealthy tomorrow, say I found a lottery ticket on the ground and I became a bajillionaire. Yeah, one bajillion dollars. That was the winnings for the Powerball. <laughs> But say you had enough money, you never had to worry about it again. You never had to really work again. What would you do? What would you do? I think that would instantly reveal your value. Where would you spend that money? Would you hoard it? Would you give it? Would you quit your job? Would you do something else? Would you become lazy? Would you just do nothing all day? I don't have to work. I'm never going to. What would you do? And I think asking yourself, then maybe like realistically thinking through that scenario and being honest with yourself reveal a little bit about where your values are at so that you might check those against scripture. Because the deal is work is a vehicle for our stewardship, whether in the home, whether you're for an employer, for yourself, or simply doing something with your time. That's a way that you're stewarding your time for God's glory. A lot of views on productivity are about how do you get more done so you can make more money. And I think one of the ways that's different about how I think about personal productivity and how I think Christians should think about personal productivity is it's not, it's not about getting more done so you can make more money. It's okay if you make more money because you get more done, but that's not the primary motivation. Again, we need to simply focus our lives on how we bring God the most glory. There's an interesting passage. Paul says, chapter six, verse six, first Timothy, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And he's talking about the minister, he's speaking to Timothy, he's saying a minister shouldn't be all about trying to be greedy 
for gain. You're not trying to make money by your godliness is effectively what he says to try to put on a face so that people will give money to you. He says, but godliness with contentment is itself great gain. And if you look at verse eight, he says, speaking of material things, he says, but if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. And so he sets the bar like really low for what enough is for a person who's really sold out to God. He said, if we have food and clothing, okay, that's good enough. Let's not focus on trying to stack our bank accounts as high as we can. We need to focus on living lives that are godly and be content with what God gives us. We want to be productive, not so we can get rich, but because we're seeking a higher prize than earthly riches. And that brings me to the last point I want to make here, and that's having a heavenly mindset. It's really this issue of how much should I work or how much is enough money to make this time and money thing. It really isn't about how many hours you work. The righteous ambition is to live a life that makes much of God and thereby results in greater heavenly reward. It would be easy to lie and call a pursuit of frugal living so we could hike or play games all day or laze around to call that contentment. Like it's easy to look at that guy's post that I shared at the beginning and say, look, he's content. But it's not. He's just swapping idols. Personal freedom can be as much of an idol as wealth or possessions. Wanting to have time freedom, wanting to retire early, wanting to have no obligations can be as much of an idol as trying to be as rich as possible. And it just looks a little bit nicer because you can call it contentment. So the frugal layabout, he looks down his nose at the Wall Street bro who's hustling to come enough money to get that Lambo. But both are missing the mark. One aspires for more time freedom. The other aspires for more money, but both are making the same mistake. They're defining success, Ron. Success is a life given fully to God. Success is faithfulness. And productivity for the Christian is the deliberate application of principles and strategies that we can manage your time in such a way that you are as faithful as you can be in glorifying God with your life. That's what it's about. And so if you can get by on less money such that you can work less, well, that's great. That's fine. That's wonderful. Good for you. (laughs) But how are you reinvesting that time? I think that's the really big question here. If you could be doing what this guy did and say you made even more to really support your family and you only had to work an hour a day, how would you reinvest that time? That's the real heart check. Would it only be in personal leisure? That wouldn't be right, would it? But to be financially freed to pursue other ways of glorifying God, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing if you can, if that happens to you. And we have examples of that in the Bible, actually. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul talks about how people who are full-time ministers of the gospel had a right to financial uh, remuneration. Remuneration? Remuneration? I don't know how to say that word. To get paid. And he quotes, you know, from, from Exodus and says, don't muzzle the ox as he treads out the grain. And the idea is that, you know, they'd, they'd be oxes plowing a field and they want a little snicky snack while they're plowing the field. But people would say, I don't want the ox eating the grain. The grain is what I'm going to sell. This is my livelihood. But even in the Old Testament, there was this law saying, don't put a muzzle on the ox so he can't eat the grain. The worker deserves his wages. Even the ox does. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 that this isn't just about ox. This is about us. 
This is about this principle that a worker deserves wages. And so he even says in 1 Corinthians 9 that ministers should be paid. But he was saying at the end of that in verses 14 and 15, he says that's a right he had, but he gave it up because he didn't want to put a stumbling block in people's way. But it still was a right. This is why we pay our pastors, right? This is part of when we give to our churches. It's to pay the salary of the pastors so they might give themselves fully to the ministry without having to be worried about money. So I think with this whole question of if I could work less and make enough to survive, would that be okay for me as a Christian? The big thing is where your heart is at. That's really the whole point. I could have just said that and we could have saved ourselves 30 minutes here, but that's really the whole thing. I think if you can position yourself such that you need less money and have more time, then do so. But only if by doing that, you are enabling yourself to serve God better. And that doesn't have to be just in a church. There could be other avenues for that. Um, but if you're just doing that so you can laze around, so you can waste time, you're missing the mark. You can serve God just fine working 40 hours a week or being fully retired or as a full-time homemaker or a full-time minister. So I think the main thing you need to be thinking about is how do I be productive where I'm planted? How do I put Christ first in everything I do so that he is honored, he is glorified? That's the big question. If you learn to manage your time better, you can make more money. You can. And you can also buy yourself more time. But just be wary that your reason for pursuing those things really is that you might honor God better. That's all I have for you this week. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you again here next time. But until I do, remember this. And whatever you do, do it well and do it all for the glory of God. For more productivity from a Christian worldview, check out my weekly newsletter, Reagan's Roundup. Every Thursday, I share an insight along with the five best links I found that week that I think will help you in your journey to becoming a more productive Christian. It's totally free. Just go to newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com to sign up for Reagan's Roundup. That's newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com. 